There are a lot of companies here in San Francisco uh, who claim that one day they'll be able to do something cool with data. Uh, there's much fewer companies uh, who've gotten to the degree of scale to which that might actually be possible, and now they have to make serious decisions around how to leverage their information uh, with machine learning and predictive analytics. This week in the Tech Emergence podcast, we speak with Nicholas Clark, who is the CTO of Double Dutch. Uh, Double Dutch is an event management uh, software and application, and uh, they're now powering thousands of events all over the United States and elsewhere. Uh, and they're aiming to now implement machine learning into what they do, into predicting um, the actual business results from individual attendees at events, where people go, what people engage in, to be able to provide that information to their customers. However, they're just at the beginning of this journey, and they're now having to make the hard choices around what sort of information do they need, what sort of uh, thought processes do they have to go through in order to implement machine learning profitably? Uh, how are they thinking through this process? How are they approaching it? And that's exactly what we talked to Nicholas about in this particular episode. Uh, certainly interesting from a founder's perspective, but even folks who are just interested in where this technology will sort of wiggle its way into industry in general, it's curious to be able to, to hear the thought process directly from a chief technology officer uh, right here in San Francisco about uh, really the beginnings of implementing this into a company. So fast-growing company, very exciting business, and I thought a very exciting interview. I hope you guys enjoy this one with Nicholas Clark from Double Dutch. So Nicholas, I first wanted to get into, um, I know you folks do live events and go pretty far kind of technically in terms of what can be done with live events. I'm interested in where, where you're thinking about applying machine learning and AI in the future, sort of where it plays a role in, in Double Dutch. Uh, sure, sure. Um, so, you know, like you said, our, our focus is on this, this kind of live engagement marketing, and we've gotten really good over the years at capturing a lot of signal from the attendees at the events, what they're interested in, what they're doing, who they're connecting with. Um, and so we're looking to apply AI to help guide um, the attendees through their events to help them have a better experience. And so this is doing things like seeing what sessions they're attending, and helping to push them down the direction of other sessions that they might want to attend, uh, people that they might want to network with, exhibitors that might have products that they're interested in. So essentially becoming uh, kind of a real-time curator for their event, um, helping them to, to get as much as they can out of the time that they have um, in the same physical location as the other hundred or thousands of attendees. Got it. Okay. And, and in terms of... Um what aspects of that, you know, you talked briefly kind of about the, the journey of the attendee, but what aspects of that might you be looking to train models on? Like maybe what, what sessions do they attend or, or what, what actions do they take if they end up becoming a, let's say, uh, it's, you know, a Salesforce's event or something, if they end up becoming a customer of XYZ Salesforce product, you know, what did they do to get interested enough to purchase that? And then maybe, what can we do to sort of nudge other folks um, in the direction of of sort of the, that proper pre-buying experience? Is, is this sort of what we're talking about? Where, where are sort of the aspects of that journey where you'd want a model trained or you'd want machine learning to, to potentially be implemented? Right. Uh, it's a good question. I think, it, you know, at the surface level, it's it's kind of simple <laughs> stuff like recommending people to meet in sessions. And that's all pretty, I think, where it starts to get more interesting um, is where it gets more complicated. Um, and it depends on why the event is being thrown. And so we power thousands of events a year. We're capturing hundreds of signals per attendee uh, over these events. Um, and 
the different types of events are some are internal sales kickoffs and training events. Some are association based where it's all the members of an association get together to meet. Some are customer conferences or corporate external events. Um, and they all have some business outcome they're trying to track. So for customer events, it might be trying to uh, increase the upsells that they have within their customer base, maybe generating new customers, uh, keeping churn to a minimum. For association events, it might be uh, making sure that their membership levels stay high and that referrals go up. Um, and so there's some business outcome. And so where we think we have a really unique opportunity is to be the system that captures all the signal that's happening at these events and ties it back into business outcomes. And so as you throw more events with Double Dutch, we understand what behaviors at an event are positively correlated or tied to your business outcomes that you're tracking. And over time, we get more uh, data into our customers knowing uh, how their business has performed after the event. And so that customer data is ultimately the data that we want to use to train the models of what behaviors to recommend to attendees at an event. Perfect. Okay. And, and of course, it seems like, um, you know, and, and every machine learning sort of challenge is, is just that. And, and you put it aptly in that where it gets, uh, you know, it gets more interesting is where it gets more complicated um, is that, of course, these events are pretty different event to event, right? I mean, there's some, there's some areas like, you know, if you're buying whatever the product is on Amazon, there's enough of a similarity of what the checkout process looks like, you know, a across various uh, product categories where maybe they can take all those purchases and glean some insights from it. For you folks, of course, like you said, if this is an association event versus some other kind of trade event or whatever, you really don't want to treat those the same. They would be kind of like bespoke uh, uh, different types of objectives, right? It's not it's not the same exact goal each time. So presumably we'd have to um, potentially have a, uh, an individual company run a few a few events to maybe garner enough feedback or would the goal eventually nick and i have no idea but would the goal be to be able to compare you know a trade show event a with trade show event b and maybe glean lessons uh across the two um yeah it's a great question i think it's a little bit of both uh i think while there are many different events that are tracking many different sorts of outcomes uh we categorize them and we see a, a few different types of categories events that that are the overwhelmingly large percentage, and that's association events, uh, customer events, and internal kind of sales kickoffs. Um, so over time, we certainly want to get better with each individual customer, and that's a yeah. byproduct yeah. of training on their actual data. Certain events in certain industries um, have different behaviors that resonate well versus other industries that, that don't. So for example, financial services is not the most social group of people, so pushing them <laughs> to do social-based interaction at events is probably not the right outcome to, to drive results. But at tech events, you know, social interaction or marketing events, it's, it's a lot higher. And so training on a per-customer basis is, is certainly important. And that's something that's good for our business is the more events that a customer does with us, the better we get at driving their attendees down the proper journeys. Um, that being said, we powered 3,000 events last year. We'll do 6,000 this year. Um, so we do have a, a large kind of sample size of similar events that can help us seed um, some some basic recommendations yeah. or basic journeys to push attendees down. Yep. Um, so a, a little bit of both, I think. Interesting. Yeah, I, I bring it up because you know we've interviewed a lot of um, uh, 
execs in, in the domain of artificial intelligence being ap- applied to uh, security, cybersecurity and data security. Uh, and there are, you know, part of the value prop for some of them is, hey, you know, when we pick up on XYZ sort of behavior anomaly um, that seems to be correlated pretty cleanly across different businesses with this kind of violation or, you know, s- stealing of information or uh, whatever the case may be, then we can roll that out to other companies. But there's some instances where, you know, uh, again, a trade a trade event versus something else, you really wouldn't want to do that. So it's interesting that you, you may be able to kind of pull both of those dynamics in there. I know you guys are, again, at, at sort of the the nascent initial stages of, of really thinking about where uh, machine learning can roll its way into your business. You know, you you guys have grown a lot recently and you're heading up a much larger team than you were, you know, X number of years ago. Um, what have you learned now about what it's going to take to meaningfully apply machine learning? Obviously, it's not as easy as like, you know, plugging in some hardware uh, or like doing some whiteboarding. What are sort of the, the hard lessons about what it takes to actually glean ROI from artificial intelligence that you guys are having to sort of realize for the first time in, in moving in this direction? Uh, great question. Uh, I think there are a few different parts, um, and it's always access to data. Um, mm. I think we're just now hitting the scale where we can even think about this. When you're powering 100 events a year, 1,000 events a year, you simply just don't have enough historical data to understand how any set of re- events relate to each other or signals. Um, so that's, that's one piece of data. I think we've hit the scale now where we power so many events that we can try things at lots of different events and, and see how, how they behave. Uh, the second kind of piece of access to data is, like you said, tying this back to ROI, um, getting access to a customer's system of record, um, which would be marketing automation, sales automation, Salesforce. Uh, it could be a training system, an HR system. Getting access to that is critical in order to be able to tie the behaviors at an event back to some business outcome. Um, and that is something that we are just becoming capable of even asking for the keys to Salesforce. That's not something that most large enterprises yeah. are willing to give up. Yeah. Um, and so I think by far that is the biggest challenge, uh, getting access to data. Um, and you know, over time, once we get that access, uh, we're powering, I don't know, 80 events a week, 100 events a week, 150, that we do have a lot of leeway now to go and, and try uh, new models and new new trainings um, to see just how how AI can help us. Huh. So so the big the big uh, hurdle, and again the reason that maybe this is a consideration for you guys now as opposed to you know six months ago, twelve months ago, is that you you got to have enough data to, to train. Uh, and and it sounds like part of that is you know sometimes that's that's a, a factor of your own growth. Sometimes that's a factor of sort of what you can negotiate from the vendors, partners, collaborators in your business model, right? So Absolutely. It's, so it's, it's in addition to teasing out enough info from your own events and running enough events to get that much info, um, there may be other aspects of, of data that you're going to have to crack open. So finding enough access to all the kinds of data that you need is obviously a challenge. Have, have there been any um, hurdles in terms of what you guys have needed skill set wise? I mean, is this is this going to have to become, if it is a direction that you move, its own team? Are there folks on the team that are already capable that you just haven't engaged in this stuff? You know, talent wise, is this going to have to imply uh, some shifting if, if this is going to be a big business focus or does this sort of meld into the rest of your, your technical endeavors? Uh, I, I certainly think 
it, it requires a, a special skill set, um, at least now. Um, we brought in a data scientist back in the fall who's had uh, an enormous impact on, on just our ability to recommend content and, and uh, sessions and, and uh, other attendees in the app. And he's using simple I think, regression models. Um, but his math background, he worked actually at, at um, the large Hadron Collider um, and so it brings a physics background in that that background is uniquely uh, suited to, to help us out. So I think we'll certainly have to hire um, hmm. before we, we go and build out a, a huge team, getting kind of the data pipeline set up properly so that we can ingest these millions or billions of events that, that uh, events being signals yep. that we're capturing uh, across the course of a, a few weeks or months is, is pretty, pretty key. And so that's what we've been investing in in the past. Uh, six to nine months. And so getting that kind of the groundwork laid to start working with this data is, is kind of step number one. Um, but then bringing in people that have, have worked with neural nets and um, training models uh, certainly will help. Um, that being said, uh, we've seen a lot coming out of kind of the, the big tech companies like Google and Facebook and, and even Microsoft that are making uh, neural networks much more approachable. Yep. And so ideally in the the next year or so, we'll, we'll continue to see strides there where it will become more approachable for a, you know, a strong developer, but not necessarily a, an AI-trained developer. Yeah, I think that that is definitely one of the, uh, one of the hurdles. There, there was probably a time in, in you know, technical history here where even your basic marketing automation softwares were you know, pretty archaic and needed their own sort of clergy of you know, technical experts to set up all the triggers and whatever the, the, the stuff is, but now you have kind of drag and drop builders that sort of work just fine for reasonably intelligent people. I think that uh, machine learning generally now, uh, as, as you mentioned, sort of not as approachable, hopefully more so in the future. It, it's interesting. I want to touch on something you, you just mentioned about setting up your pipeline so that you can ingest uh, the data that you're going to need to sort of handle in order to improve recommendations and uh, train models around, you know, garnering conversion or whatever the business outcome is. Um, what has that preparatory groundwork looked like? When I've talked to consultants in this space, they've often said, like real PhD folks that go in and build, let's say, a, a machine vision application for manufacturing or something, the kind of people that will get hired for, a, you know, a year to do something like that. They often mention that just the systems aren't set up to even deal with the data and the data's kind of grimy and jumbled and it and it that is often kind of the first hurdle that they hit. It sounds like you're trying to bypass that. What does that groundwork look like? You know, when you're setting up sort of your your plumbing um to deal with this data, uh, knowing that you're moving potentially in the machine learning direction, what does that groundwork look like, like in the real world? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, we're not bypassing the grimy data. Um, <laughs> one of the, the first things that you learn uh, when you when you start bringing data uh, to the forefront of your business, you start to notice inconsistencies um, or your customers do for you. Uh, so nine months ago or so, we, we had a, a pretty big effort to clean up the metrics that we were capturing um, uh, to make sure that they, across iOS, Android, and web, were all standardized, that we were interpreting them the, the correct way, that we were ingesting them all properly. Uh, so that that's step one, is, is learning to trust your data. Um, <laughs> And so we've gotten there, and so now it's about making that data uh, accessible by lots of different teams within the organization. Um, and so we have a bunch of analysts on staff that 
use the, the data that we're capturing to understand how well our product is working, which features are working, how in, attendees are engaging with it. Um, we have teams within the engineering org that are building products based on top of that, that data. Um, and so a lot of what we're doing with this pipeline is, uh, you know, kind of ingesting metrics, uh, cleaning them up, passing them off to a distributed system to compute time series aggregates and push out kind of pre-computed reports that different teams can, can then go and work with. Um, and so I think the big part of the data pipeline is being able to take, uh, the kind of a large funnel at the top, put all that data through, through some processing and then have it come out, uh, in a format on the other end that different teams can work with in a scalable way. Um, yeah. cause right now, if you have everybody trying to look at these billions of metrics, you could throw it into Hadoop or something, but that's not terribly performant. We wouldn't be able to build product on that. Um, and so I guess, you know, at the end of the day, while we want internally to look at a lot of the data that we're capturing, we also want to bring it to our customers too. And so we've been focused on building something scalable from the beginning, just because we don't want to just keep it internally. We want to open up the, uh, the eyes of our customers to see just how much data is captured in an event that they're currently ignoring. Huh. So, um, two, twofold sort of effort in some regard, you've got to, uh, clean up and standardize um, from device and channel and whatever else what you're tracking, how you're tracking, so that it's organized and you know consistent. Like you said, you notice those kind of grimy inconsistencies as as we all do uh, running businesses with reasonable volume. Um, and then also making that accessible. So uh, I'm I imagine that this is implied for you guys uh, putting this data and information in sort of uh, designated places with designated types of access so that different people on the team could kind of look at the numbers and be kind of seeing the same thing and be on the same page around uh, sort of the information itself, which sounds like a pretty pretty big effort uh, to sort of go through. Yep, yep. It's been a, a long time in the making. One of the, the things that's, that's kind of coming out of this as a result is we're architecting our systems across the board to be much more stream-based. So rather than the traditional relational database where you put data in it, Data in it, and at any given time, your your database is a, a current snapshot of the current state of affairs for your business. Um, we are building things in more of an event sourcing model, whereas behaviors happen or people take action. Uh, it's a stream of events that compute kind of snapshots over time, um, but it plays much more nicely into uh, this kind of system of, of streaming streaming data so that we can have listeners set up on the other end to ingest this data and, and to take action um, when things happen. Uh, so, you know, the, the kind of AI, I guess, or machine learning or, or uh, data pipeline stuff that we've been looking at has really started to influence our overall architecture, uh, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, probably a, a trend that, that will you know, extend to many companies as, as this becomes sort of more and more the, the de facto way of doing business when you're at a certain volume. I think a lot of what you've gone through, Nicholas, is probably uh, experiences in terms of uh, cleaning, making sense of, uh, and, and sort of orchestrating your information to be ready to apply machine learning, probably something that other folks uh, who are maybe even people who are tuned in right now are, are going to have to go through themselves. So I, I know that that's just about time for us, but Nicholas, I appreciate you uh, kind of going behind the kimono there and, and breaking out sort of a little bit of your insights on strategy and setting up a company to 
uh, Leverage AI. So thanks for being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.